Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our sermon series from 1 Samuel, A Personal God. We hope that this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Have you ever just needed somebody to uh, remind you of something? Everybody needs a reminder every now and then. Uh, I looked up the history of reminders, and uh, I don't know, maybe, how many of you have seen the movie, uh, It's a Wonderful Life? You've seen that Christmas movie, and uh, the uncle on there, what's his name? Uncle Billy, that's right. Uh, uncle Billy, everybody needs an Uncle Billy. Uh, uncle Billy, he, uh, he on there, he always tied strings to his finger. Remember that? Those of you that have seen that movie? Uh, man, if you haven't seen the movie, that was a way of reminding back in the old days, you know, was tying a string. Anybody still tie a string on their finger? I'm just curious. All right, I was just wondering, just wondering. Uh, might be somebody that does that. Uh, you know what? You tie a string to your finger trying to remind you of something, and uh, you tie it thinking, oh, okay, I need to, need to uh, send mom a postcard, and you tie that string on there, and then later, oh, I see the string, mom's postcard, and try to connect those things. Then we went to, uh, uh, you know, different ways of reminders, and now... Man, there's numbers of ways to remind yourself, especially if you have one of these things. I don't like these things, but uh, especially if you have one of these because you can set reminders up. You can set it up on your calendar, on your notes page, on your, they're actually, most phones have a reminders page, uh, or you do it old-fashioned way, sticky notes. Yeah, how many of you still use sticky notes? Okay, good. man, there's a lot of folks still use sticky notes. Uh, how many of you do the sticky note to the fridge thing? How many of you do that? My mom and dad, I grew up with that. You'd walk in the kitchen, there'd be sticky notes on the kitchen, you know? There'd be a, a picture of somebody and a sticky note, write them a letter, you know, a, a, a calendar and a date that says, Judy, don't forget, and there's a sticky note. Man, everyone, every now and then, needs a reminder. Maybe you've set reminders for yourself, but have you ever asked somebody to remind you of something? Oh, we all have done that. We've all done that, especially if you're in any position of leadership, a dad in the home or a mom in the home uh, or a boss at the workplace. I know here at church as a pastor, there's plenty of times I'll say to the staff guys, hey, remind me of that. Hey, later, would you write it down? Remind me of this. And we all need somebody to remind us every now and then of some things. Of course, every now and then, somebody can remind you or others of something you don't want to be reminded about. I'm remembering... A number of years ago, we were on a vacation, and I think <clears throat> Lena was probably, um, she was probably six or seven, and Micah was probably four, something like that. And the two of them, they had gotten in an argument on, on this road trip, and I, I forget the whole scenario, but it ended up, we were at a place that, that we couldn't take care of it. If... Are we still, we're still live streaming. Um, you know what I mean by take care of it. Pow, pow. Okay. Uh, that's how we dealt with it, you know, and you'd give a, give a, a spanking or something like that. And I remember we were in this place that we, we couldn't. It was at a store or out in the public area. And, and uh, of course, very lovingly, and the Bible has much to say about it. I'm getting off track. Anyway, uh, we would spank our kids. And I remember this one time we, we didn't get around to it. And the whole day went by. And we, we never got around to them having their consequence for what they had done. And we got home, and Micah, four years old, listen, it's like 11 o'clock, 11.30 at night. All the kids had been asleep. They're all in the, you know, we're carrying them in. And they, they wake up as we get them inside, and Micah goes, hey, Dad, don't forget to give us our spanking. <laughs> and Lena's like, 
Micah? She's like, they had forgot. And we had totally forgot. I had totally forgotten. I was like, oh man, you're too tired right now. You know, I'll take care of that in the morning. And, you know, morning came around and well, you, you can dream about the rest. Anyway, you know what? There's times when people remind us of something or remind others of things that we don't necessarily want to know. But I also think that there are times, and what we're going to see this morning, there are times when people remind us of something we didn't ask them to, but boy, we are thankful they did. We're thankful they reminded us of that. This morning as we come back into 1 Samuel chapter number 25, we're jumping into the life of David. If you've been with us, we've seen a lot take place. We've seen the, from the book of Judges, Samuel was the last judge. Then he would lead the people. Saul would come on. Saul was the anointed first king of Israel, right man for the job. But then his pride set in, and Saul got away from the Lord to the point where God said, I'm, I'm rejecting, I'm resisting Saul because he's rejecting me. I'm not going to use him anymore. And so God uses Samuel to anoint an unlikely person, a young man by the name of David, to be king. David would come on the scene. God would use him to slay Goliath, and God would use him to be a blessing to Saul, the king, and the Lord would really work through David's life. But we found that after Goliath, David would face his greatest enemy up to that point. It wasn't Goliath. No, his greatest enemy at that point was his own king, Saul. Because of Saul's pride and jealousy, Saul began to chase David around and try to kill him. And he tried to kill him on numerous occasions, but God would use different things to uh, uh, help David and deliver David. And last week, what we did is we took a few chapters of 1 Samuel, and we got in and we saw two different Davids. Oh, it was the same David, but he was really two different people. We saw last week that David, I mean, this is the one, he was uh, said to be the man after God's own heart, right? That was God's testimony of him. And what we saw last week is that David, almost like a, a crazy person, begins to lie and manipulate and scheme and try to uh, make the narrative, make the story fit his mind and his way, the way he thought it should go. And he almost becomes a different person, just totally kind of running from the Lord, and then we saw that a few days later, a few weeks later, he was back depending upon the Lord, talking to people about the Lord. He was showing mercy. He had an opportunity to uh, take care of Saul and get rid of his problem. But he said, no, I'm going to give that to the Lord. And, and we wondered, what's the difference? But the difference was in 1 Samuel chapter number 22, where Dave would, David spent time in the cave of Adullam. And he spent time in the hold of the caves in Moab. What did he do there? Psalm 34, Psalm 56, and Psalm 57 help us know what he did there. He just spent time with the Lord. And he allowed God to teach him a lesson. What was the lesson? It was fourfold. Fear God, not man. Hey, David, you've been, you've been paying way too much attention to Saul. Don't worry about Saul. You reverence me and see what I can do. Fear God, not man. Trust God, not your own agenda. Hey, David, you've been trying to, to manipulate. You've been scheming, but David, you just need to trust me. Fear God, trust God, seek God. Hey, David, you've been trying to seek revenge. David, you've been trying to make things play out the way you want. David, don't do that. Seek me. And then lastly, he learned about praising God. And what a great truth for you and I to understand every day. Hey, whatever comes my way, I need to fear God, trust God, seek God, and praise God. Amen. This morning, as we come to 1 Samuel chapter number 25, we're going to find David about to make a decision 
that would have irreparable damages. David would not, he, he really would have been hurting his legacy and hurting his kingship, kinghood, kingship, kinghood. Yeah, I just made up another word, but let's go with that. Uh, he, he, he would be hurting his uh, leadership. I know that's a word. He'd be hurting his leadership and his influence. And yet, here's what we see today. God uses one person to remind David of the truths he had just learned. And God would use that one person to save David from making an absolute atrocity of his own life. I want you to see it with me. Stand, if you would, 1 Samuel chapter number 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. We're going to read the first, just the first five verses. Going to go through the whole chapter today. We'll do it this morning, and I think it'll be a help. But the first five verses of 1 Samuel chapter 25. Notice it if you would. And Samuel died. And all the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him and buried him in his house at Ramah. And David, verse 2, arose, and he went down to the wilderness of Paran, or Paran. This would be the furthest, most, uh, the, the furthest most southern region, almost into Egypt is where David went. And there was a man in Maon whose, na- or whose possessions were in Carmel, and the man was very great. Now, let me tell you, that very great, it doesn't mean great in character. We'll see that in just a minute. It means very great, very rich, very well-known, very wealthy. He's a very great man. And he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. But the man, Nabal, he was churlish and evil in his doings. That word churlish, it just means cruel and conniving, and he had a corrupted heart. He is evil in his doings, and he was the house of Caleb. And David heard in the wilderness that Nabal did shear his sheep. And David, he sent out ten young men. And David said unto the young men, Get you up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. We're going to stop right there because the stage is just being set. The stage is going to be set for characters David, Nabal, and Abigail. And what we're going to see take place is the stage being set for David to be face-to-face with a decision that would cause that irreparable damage. But then he gets a reminder, and now he has a choice. Do I do what I want to do, or do I, again, fear God, trust God, seek God, and praise God? We're going to see the decision that he makes this morning. I'd like to have a word of prayer with you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you just take a minute? And in the silence of the moment, would you just commit your heart to the Lord? Pray something simple of, God, please speak to me. God, please help me. And then would you just make a commitment that if God speaks to you, that you're going to listen to him and respond to him today. Dear Lord, we come before you again, and we thank you for your love. Thank you for the word of God. And, and Lord, I'm thankful for the truth that is before us this morning. God, I just humble my heart to you, and I want to ask you that you would help me today. I pray, God, that you'd speak to my heart. God, help me to see clearly uh, and to give clearly the direction that you have in your scripture for us, that we might apply it, and, Lord, that we might have a better walk with you, relationship with you this week, and then, Lord, that we would be used of you 
to help others this week. We love you. Thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we come to 1 Samuel chapter number 25, we, we find these three characters identified. Three characters, David, he would be, again, that up-and-coming king, one who is called a man after God's own heart. Second character is Nabal. Nabal, or Nabal, whatever, however you'd like to pronounce that, he's a churlish man, a cruel man, and then it says that he's also evil in his doings. The third character is Abigail. Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the, the one who's listed as a woman of good understanding and also a beautiful woman. Basically, this is the author writing saying, hey, she was beautiful on the inside and the outside. And these three characters, they're the main three characters for our story that's about to unfold. And so this morning as we begin, I want us to see first of all what I'm calling good rewarded with evil. Good rewarded with evil. Here's what's taking place in the passage. Verse number one opens up and it tells us that Samuel, the prophet, he has just died. Uh, Samuel would have been a main influence in the life of Saul as well as the life of David, many of the people of Israel. And the, the scripture tells us that almost everybody would travel to his home in Ramah and they would go and, and almost uh, be there for like a funeral type thing. They would go for the celebration of life to mourn his death. And the Bible would actually lead us to believe that David goes. So David, he goes and, and he mourns the life of uh, or excuse me, mourns the death of Samuel and praises the Lord for his life. And then verse number two tells us that David would travel south to the wilderness of Paran. And as he's traveling south, he hears, verse number three, about this man, Nabal, who lived in Maon, but he was shearing his sheep in Carmel or Carmel. How many like Carmel? All right, it's not different. That's not that type of Carmel, but... My brain just thought of it, so now I'm hungry. Uh, he's shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, there in Carmel, what's interesting is if you look, and some people believe that this is Mayon and Carmel that would be near the southern region of the Dead Sea. Some believe that it's a different Carmel and Mayon down in uh, the wilderness of Paran. But regardless, they're a distance away. Both of these areas, Maon and Carmel, they're, they're uh, many miles for us. And so it's interesting that Nabal, he lives in Maon and his house and his livelihood is in Maon, but he's shearing his sheep in Carmel. Why is that? Here's why. When it says that the shearing of sheep was taking place, we need to know that in their culture, the shearing of sheep was a very celebratory thing. It was something that they were very, uh, they, they had a big festivity and a big feast because this man, Nabal, he's very wealthy, 3,000 sheep, 2,000 goats. The Bible gives us some numbers there. This would be a celebration of his wealth and who he was. Now that's very important. And here's why. David hears that the shearing of sheep is taking place. There's a festival celebrating the wealth of Nabal taking place. Hey, men, he gathers 10 men. I'm going to send you, and I want you to go to Nabal, and I want you to give him a message. And so those men, they get ready to go give him a message. What's the message? Notice David's message, 1 Samuel 25, verse 6 through 9. Thus shall you say unto him, this is David, hey, here's what I want you to give to Nabal. Thus shall you say to him that liveth in prosperity, Peace be both to thee, and peace to thine house, and peace be unto all that thou hast. And now I have heard that thou hast shearers. Now thy shepherds, which were with us, we hurt them not, 
Neither was there aught missing unto them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask thy young men, and they will show thee. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes, for we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand unto thy servants and to thy son David. And when David's young men came, they spake unto Nabal according to those words in the name of David, and they ceased. So here's what's taking place. David says, hey, listen, I want you to take a message to Nabal. When you go there, you're going to tell him, hey, when your shepherds were tending their flocks in Carmel, my men, we were there. And we helped them. We protected them. One of the servants of Nabal will later say, and we'll see it in just a second, that when David and his men were around, David and his men were like a wall for the shepherds saying, hey, they protected us, they helped us, they cared for us. And this is David now sending word to Nabal, saying, we, we cared for you, we did all of that. All I'm asking is, would you, would you give us some food? That's what he's asking for. Hey, would you take care and meet some of our needs? Now, really, if you think about it, this request that David's making to this man, Nabal, he, he lives in prosperity. He's very wealthy from the context of the passage. So really, it wouldn't be much for him to provide food for David and, and these 600 men. Now you say, Pastor, that would be a lot. We're going to see in just a little bit that really it, it's not much at all. It wouldn't be much at all for him to do this. And actually, as a matter of fact, in, in a business sense, this would be a good deal for Nabal. Hey, they've protected you. Hey, they've cared for you. Why don't you step up and help them out? That request is made to Nabal. This man who is cruel, churlish, this man who's evil in his doings, full of himself, he's irrational, he's foolish, and yet David makes this request to him. But I want you to notice Nabal's answer. Verse number 10. Nabal he answered David's servants, and he said, Who is David? And, and who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then, listen, watch verse 11. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh, my animals, that I have killed for my shearers and given unto men whom I know not whence they be? That's a pretty harsh answer. You say, what's the answer? Nabal is saying, now, when, when he says, who is David? He's not really asking the question, uh, David who? I, I, don't, I don't recognize that. No, listen, we know from the passages before us that Israel knew who David was. And they knew, by now, they knew that David was the next king. He is going to reign and rule and reign. And so by Nabal saying, who is David? Who's the son of Jesse? This is him saying, David's a nobody to me. Verse number 10, he says, anybody can run from their master. And that's just what David's done. He's just run from his master. I have, I have no respect for David. I don't care who he is. And then we see his pride bleed out in verse number 11. It bleeds out in his conversation. Shall I take of my bread and, and, and my water and my flesh and give it to David and these men, that, these hooligans, these people that I, I don't even know who they are? How absurd. Nabal's answering is saying, who does David think he is? I'm not going to help him. He's not worthy of my goods. Uh, 
Look, of all, look at all that I have done. Why should I show him kindness? He's basically saying, hey, I wouldn't help David if he was the last person on earth. If he's the last one living, I still wouldn't help him. Can I ask you, have you ever tried to bless somebody? You've ever tried to do good to somebody and their response was not what you expected? Yeah, we've all been there, haven't we? We've all tried to do good to somebody and it seemed like the good that we tried to do to them, they ignored it and returned evil for good. That's what's taking place to David. He has his good being rewarded with evil. This man, Nabal, churlish, cruel in his dealings. You know, it's interesting. He was rotten on the inside and rotten on the outside. One man said it this way, his actions were not far from his attitude. <laughs> Nabal's heart was corrupt, selfish. Later we'll find that he's a son of Belial. He's a worshiper of a false god that even honor God. And he's one that people said, that, it's amazing the, the uh, critique that his servants even give him. They say, hey, nobody can approach him. He's so proud, he won't even listen to anybody. And so his response to David's good is evil. We've all been there. I, wouldn't, I would not say this at all in any way for pity. I just want to give you a scenario. There are plenty of times that I know growing up in ministry, watching my dad as a pastor deal with people, give, 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 only to have those very same people just stab him in the back. And I, wa I've, I watched growing up good rewarded with evil. You know, it's frustrating. I thought, that won't happen to me. I mean, I mean, come on. And God very soon was like, it probably will. And I can tell you at times, even after pastoring, now we're in our 10th year, coming up on the 10th anniversary in March. And I can tell you about people who I helped and helped and helped and turn around and treated me evil for my good. Now, again, I'm not telling you that for pity. I'm saying we've all done that. You've had it happen in the workplace. You've had it happen maybe in your own family. You've had it happen. Good rewarded with evil. But notice, secondly, if you will, that evil is now going to be facing revenge. Evil is facing revenge in our passage. Well, what takes place? Look at what David decides to do because of Nabal's answer, verse number 12 and 13. 1 Samuel 25, verse 12 and 13. So David's young men, they turned their way and went again and came and told him, David, all these sayings. They came back and said, hey, David, uh, Nabal said, there ain't no way that I'm gonna help you. If you were the last person on earth, I'm not helping you. Notice what David said unto his men. Gird ye on every man his sword. And they girded on every man his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And there went up after David about 400 men and 200 abode by the stuff. What's that saying? Hey, David said, all right, he wants to answer us no. Let's go kill him. Let's take him out. You 400 men, you go with me. You 200, stay here and defend, stay here and defend our camp. Let's go. Gird up your sword. Get it. And the guy's, all right, let's do it. Let's do it. Notice verse 21 and 22. These verses aren't on the screen. It says this. Now, David had said, this is what David intent, his intentions were by telling everybody to gird up their sword. He said, surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness so that 
nothing was missed of all that pertained unto him. And he hath requited me evil for good. Hey, he's rewarding me evil for my good. Notice verse 22. So and more also do God unto the enemies of David if I leave all that pertain unto him or if I leave of all that pertain to him by the morning light any that pisseth against the wall. Now, you and I are like, whoa, that's some, uh, that's some heavy, verb, heavy, heavy verbiage there, David. Here's what David says. How dare him talk to me like that? How dare he reward my good with evil? You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna kill him and I'm not gonna leave any servant or any family member alive. Hey, men, let's go. Pack it up. Let's take revenge into our own hands. Now, let's just be honest. Revenge is sweet. Some of you are like, no, it's not. You never grew up with siblings. (laughs) Oh, revenge is sweet. Yeah, I've told you stories of my sisters. I grew up with three moms, right? One's eight years older than me. One's 11 years older than me. And then my mom, she's just older than me. (laughs) That's like a duh. So I grew up with three moms. Can I tell you, my, middle, my, my sister right above me, Dina, she's eight years older than me. When I was a little kid, and I've told you what she used to do. When I was just little, she would sit on me, pin my arms, and get nastiness all in her mouth, and then she'd let it dangle above my face and suck it back in and keep doing Some of y'all are getting queasy right now. Yeah. Be on the opposite side of that. Ah, ah, ah. But I learned very quickly, keep your mouth and your eyes closed because sooner or later, she's letting it go. And you know what she'd do? Oops. That's disgusting. If my parents are watching, you should have taken care of her a lot more. You know what happened? When I was about 13 years old and she's about 21, yeah, I had what you call a growth spurt. (laughs) And so when I was 14 years old and she was 22, you know what I did? Pinned her. And I did. (laughs) Oops. Dennis, I can't believe you. You want more? Man, revenge is sweet. You say, Pastor, how dare you? Don't judge me. (laughs) You thought about things too with your siblings. You know what? Here's David thinking revenge is sweet. He's thinking, all right, I'll show him. But he's not just gonna go spit in Nabal's face. He's like, I'm gonna gonna kill him and everybody that he has. Evil, Nabal's evil, is facing David's revenge. David's ready. He's going to take him out. Now, can I tell you real quick that sometimes, sometimes we overreact to little things. I would say in this passage, this is a big overreaction to David not getting the food order he ordered. Like the waiter didn't get his order right came back with no food instead of some food. And David's like, that's it. Flip over the table. I'm taking out the owner. David, David's overreacting. We all can do that, can't we? 
We all can overreact. We all can have something happen. And, and our reaction to what was done unto us, it, it doesn't match. Can I give you very quickly some reasons why David overreacted and sometimes why we overreact? Can I tell you this morning real fast, we can overreact often because we're dealing with deeper hurts. People, people deal with deeper hurts, don't they? Why don't you think about this? What was David going through? What was David going through? Oh, he's running for his life. He was selected king, but now he's fleeing. Uh, David, um, his mentor, Samuel, just died. He's had to leave his closest friend, Jonathan. He had to leave his spouse, uh, Michael or Michelle. He had to leave her, and, and we're going to see she's going to have to marry another man because of Saul's maniacal uh, dealings with people. So I think David is dealing with a lot more here, isn't he? And so what do I see with David in this passage? I see David dealing with some hurt, just saying, you know what? Fine. Forget it. I'm killing him. Well, why, why would he respond in that way? Man, it's because sometimes your biggest hurts cause you to behave in irrational ways in smaller areas. You get fired at work. So you come home and you take it out on your family. You kick the dog. I just say, don't kick the dog, kick the cat. <laughs> just kidding for all you cat lovers. I'm just teasing. Just teasing. But, but that's an overreaction, isn't it? That something could happen to me. Listen, something could happen to me while I'm driving. And you're fuming the whole way home. And you get home and your spouse is like, hey, how are you? I'm fine. Leave me alone. There's overreaction. Why? Because there's, there's something deeper going on. And I'm not just talking about someone cutting us up in traffic. That can happen in any relationship, can it? I think that's what was going on with David. There's a deeper hurt, huh? We see David, David, he's dealing with a deeper hurt. Sometimes we can overreact because we don't see the bigger picture. We, we don't see the bigger picture. In our passage, think about this, the hurting that David is facing in chapter 25. It doesn't sound like the, the merciful David that we saw in chapter 24. I mean, the reason that David was able to say no to killing Saul in chapter 24 is because he saw the bigger picture. You see, he knew God was in control. I mean, go read Psalm 34, 56, 57, and Psalm 52, and you will find David saying, I know, I know that God is in control. I know that I can trust him. And yet we find David in chapter 25 overreacting. Why? Now he's not seeing the bigger picture. We'll see in just a minute that Abigail, the wife of Nabal, who's used to remind David of the bigger picture, she says in verse 29, hey, you're bound in the bundle of life with the Lord. Hey, God's in control. She says, hey, your enemies, they're gonna be slung out like a rock out of a slingshot. God still has you, verse 31. She says, David, don't do this because you're gonna regret it. You're gonna be king someday. David, you're gonna be king someday and you're gonna look back and regret this. You know, David was missing, he's missing the bigger picture. I see we overreact because of deeper hurts. We overreact because we're not seeing the bigger picture. But lastly, and very quickly about our overreactions, we can overreact because we feel like we don't get, we, we don't deserve what we're getting. We don't deserve what we're getting. You ever been there when you know that your mindset is kind of like, you know, I did good unto them. 
man, I treated you kind. Can I tell you, sometimes our biggest disappointments come when our biggest expectations are not met. I was nice to you. Why can't you be nice to me? I work hard. Why can't the boss realize it? I served them. Why can't they serve me? I scratch your back. Why can't you scratch mine? That's, that's our mentality, right? David, he's having that mentality. But the truth is that sometimes good people who do good get evil rewarded to them. And so now evil is facing revenge. David's going to take revenge because of the evil that he's been dealt. His attitude is you are messing with the wrong person. He was forgetting what he had already learned. Psalm 34, I'm not going to tell you right now, but go read verses 12 through 17. He said, render evil, don't render evil for evil. Don't do railing for railing. Instead, blessing, contrarize blessing. Man, do good to those that mistreat you. We're learning that in 1 Peter on Sunday nights. A great passage tonight in 1 Peter chapter number 4, verses 1 through 11. Huge help. But this is what David was going through, evil. His, his uh, good was rewarded for evil. Now evil is facing revenge, but I want you to see thirdly with me this morning. Revenge is reminded of wisdom. <laughs> Listen, this is where Abigail comes on scene. And thank God for Abigail. You say, why, pastor? What takes place? Notice, if you will, all of these events are unfolding with David and Nabal. Nabal is, is saying, no, I'm not going to help you. And David's saying, all right, guys, pack up the swords. Let's go. Let's take him out. And all the while, behind the scene, there's other conversations taking place. Notice them with me. 1 Samuel 25, verse number 14. 1 Samuel 25, verse 14, not on the screen. You can follow along or just listen. So all of that's happening. Here's what took place. But one of the young men, Nabal's servants, told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, behold, um, hey, listen, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men, David's men, they were very good unto us, and we were not hurt, neither missed we anything, as long as we were conversant with them. And listen, when we were good to them, I mean, they, they were very good to us when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us, both by night and day, all the while we were with them, keeping uh, the sheep. Now, therefore, know, hey, hey, Abigail, catch this, you need to know and consider, know and consider what thou wilt do for evil is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak unto him. And Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two bottles of wine and five sheep ready dressed and five uh, measures of uh, parched corn and a hundred clusters of raisin and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on asses. And she said unto his servants, uh, go on before me, behold, I, I come after you. But she told not her husband Nabal. Now, so the servants, they see the situation unfolding and, and they're like, um, we got to do something, man. Somebody go tell Abigail. Hey, Abigail, listen, this man, David, he came and, and he's been good to us. He protected us. We just read all that. I don't need to rehearse it, but you need to do something, Abigail. Hey, you need to do something. And so Abigail, this woman who's defined, verse number three defines her in a great way. It says that she was a woman of understanding and a very beautiful countenance. I already said it, very beautiful on the inside and beautiful on the outside. And yet she's married to Nabal, an absolute maniacal jerk. You said it, Janet, so I just took it from you. 
I was thinking it, but thanks for saying it first. Man, man, she's married to this guy. And yet, she's defined as good on the inside, good on the outside. He's defined as rotten on the inside, rotten on the outside. Can I just give you a very quick, simple thought that I had about Abigail and Nabal? It's this statement. Your circumstances, they don't define you. She could have been just like Nabal. So, who cares? Who is David? But no, she's, she's noticed as a woman of understanding. And so they, they approach her, the servants, they approach her, and they approach her decision-making ability. What do they say? Hey, uh, no. Hey, you need to know, Abigail, you need to know, and you need to consider. Hey, we're, we're approaching your intellect. We're trying to connect with you. We realize that you have wisdom. Abigail, you've got to do something. And so what does Abigail do? Well, the scripture tells us that she packs some things up. What's she pack up? 200 loaves of bread, two bottles of wine, five sheep, five measures of corn, 100 clusters of raisin, 100, or, and 200 cakes of figs, and she sends it all to David. Doesn't sound too much to me like Nabal was hurting. If she can just gather that up really quickly, right? She knows. We, we can spare this. This is nothing. And she says, hey, I want you guys to send that ahead. I'm following after you. I'm following after you. And so they follow after, or she follows after. They get to David, what takes place? Well, verses 23 through 31 tell us what takes place. And we won't have, don't have time to look at this, but I'll just put it up on the screen. You can see the reference. 23 through 31, she goes to David. And I want you to notice, I'm going to read a couple verses. We're still good on time. We'll be done at like one today, but it's okay. I'm just kidding. Go to verse 23. I just want you to see what she does. Verse 23, and when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the ash. She jumped off and, and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground. Listen, she recognizes who David, hey, he's the future king. And she bows before him and she fell at his feet. Notice what she says. Man, this is, all oh, this is so good. Don't miss it because we're gonna come back to it in a few minutes. Verse number 24, upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be, and let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine handmaid. Wow. You say, Pastor, I'm just not getting it. All right, key back in. She comes, she falls before him, and she bows on her face, and she says, David, upon me, hey, listen, put my husband's ignorance and foolishness and sin Put it on my account. David, take it out on me. It's not his fault. He's ignorant. He's foolish. He's, he's churlish. His name, Nabal, the name literally means fool. Not too many Nabals around, you know? People just, I mean, there's a lot of Nabals, but not named Nabal. <laughs> she says, put it on my account. And, and would you listen to me? Verse 25. Let my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial. Even Nabal, for, as, is his, or for has, as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly, foolishness, is with him. But I, thine handmaid, I saw not the young men of my Lord whom thou didst send. Hey, you sent them to the wrong person. And he's a fool, not me. Now, therefore, hey, because of this, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as Nabal. 
And now this blessing which thine handmaid hath brought unto my Lord, let it be given unto the, Lord, unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid. Now it's ownership. She's not, hey, forgive my husband's trespass. No, put it on me. And now I'm asking you, would you forgive me? For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. She's seeing the big picture. Hey, God's gonna establish you because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord. You're, on, you're, you're a man after his own heart. Evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul. You're letting this little uh, piddly situation, you're letting it affect your judgment. It's just a little man. But the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God, and the souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling, and it shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done uh, to my Lord according to all the good that he hath spoken concerning thee, and shall have appointed thee a ruler over Israel, that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart, uh, nor offense of heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood, blood causeless, or that my Lord hath avenged himself, but when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. Now, listen, I know that just at a, at a reading like this, that there's a lot there, but let me just give you a synopsis. She's taking ownership, even though she had not done anything wrong. She says, David, you need to understand, if you do this, again, the future you will not like this. My husband's a foolish man, and he's acting in character. If you kill my husband, you are stooping to his level. You're taking this into your own hands, and one day you're going to look back, and you're going to regret it. David, we know that God's going to establish you. I know it. You know it. Even though my husband doesn't know it, David, that should make no difference to you. And then she says this, David, I want to remind you that the Lord He's in control of your situation. In all of this, again, we don't have time to do it, but she reminds David, fear God, not man. Trust God, not yourself. And seek God, not your own agenda. You know what David says? David says, you're right. You're right. Wow, talk about a reminder. <laughs> Hey, David, you're about, to, you're about to make an irreparable decision. Listen, David, you're gonna go and you, this is horrible for you. I'm begging you. See God, trust him, seek him, fear him. See God in this. Get the bigger picture. What a reminder. Reminded, literally, she reminded David of Psalm 34, 56 and 57, what he had written. So I see that this revenge is met with wisdom, and I close today by saying this, that wisdom is received and blessed. I should say and blessed, not a blessed. That doesn't make sense. Wisdom is received and blessed. Notice verse 32. Verse 32 and 33, it says this, and David said to Abigail, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me, and blessed be thy advice. And blessed be thou which hast kept me this day from coming to shed blood and avenging myself with my own hand. David, he says, you know what? Thank you. Blessed be thy advice. The word advice here, it means intelligent discretion and reason. 
You know what David does? He humbles his heart. He receives instruction. He was acting in self-preservation, but now he's acting in God's wisdom. He receives it. He humbles his heart. And he goes home. He goes home. Abigail goes home. At this point in the story, now you and I, we read the scripture. We know that's well, it's not going to be done. But if we stop right there, that's where it was stopping for David. He's like, all right, it's in God's hands. But if you go and you read verse 36, 37, and 38, here's what takes place. Abigail gets home. Nabal, he's a, he's a drunken fool. She gets home in the evening. He's drunk. He's crazy. She doesn't even spend time or talk to him. In the morning, he's sobering up. And she says, hey, do you know what happened last night? Hey, David was coming after you with 400 men. And I took him some goods. And I brought peace to our home. And I just wanted you to know it. And the Bible says that immediately his heart went as stone. He had a heart attack. And he went into a coma for 10 days. And 10 days later, verse 38 tells us that God smote Nabal. God took him out. One man said, 10 days for every man that, David reje- or that Nabal rejected. 10 days, 10 servants. I don't know if you can look into that, but it makes sense, right, Brian? Man, David's avenged of his enemies, isn't he? He's avenged of his enemies. Now he doesn't have to take things in his own hands. So David gets the goods, right? He got all that produce. He's avenged of his enemies. You think, all right, the story's over. It's not. Look with me at verse number um, 42. Some time goes by. David, he proposes to Abigail. And verse 42 says, And Abigail hasted and arose and uh, rode upon an ass and five damsels of hers uh, that went after her and the bridal party. And she went after the messengers of David and became his wife. Now you say, Pastor, that's just kind of a weird part. No, this is God blessing. You say, why? Abigail, remember, beautiful on the inside, beautiful on the out. God was just He was blessing David. He got the goods and he got the girl. Who doesn't like watching a movie where the good guy wins and marries the one true love? What a great story. But why did it happen? Because David received a reminder. He received wisdom. Now let me give you this today and we'll be done. David, he received that wisdom from Abigail and he... And God took care of the situation. God blessed. But how did God bless? I'm glad you asked that because I want to point out just some, some of the blessings that David received for not taking things into his own hands and some blessings that I believe you and I will receive when we too don't try to just take things into our own hands. Number one, what are the blessings if I don't return evil for evil? Number one, God will vindicate in his time. Hey, God took care of it. God took care of the situation. Verse, 30, verse 38, Nabal dies. What else happens? God gets the glory. Verse 39, if you look, verse number 39, when David heard, he just praises the Lord. Man, God, you really took care of that situation. God will vindicate. God receives the glory. But then I want you to notice also that David, he retained his integrity. Hey, you're gonna do something that you, would, you are gonna look back and regret. But he didn't do it. 
He retained that integrity. God kept him from doing something that was going to harm his testimony as a king. And then I want you to see thirdly that David, he received a bigger blessing than he could have otherwise received. The blessing is bigger than if you take things into your own hands. Now, you say, Pastor, that's a great story and some, maybe some good thoughts this morning, but what does all of that have to do with me? I'm going to tell you this morning that every one of us, every week, we're going to face situations that we can, A, operate under our wisdom and what we know and make things happen, or B, we can walk with God and trust him. A, we can say, how dare they treat me like that? I'm going to get back. B, we can say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be good to them, and they're doing this. God, I know you see it, so God, I'm going to trust you. A, we can operate in our wisdom, or B, we can operate in God's wisdom. Can I tell you this morning, and can I just encourage you, choose this week to operate based upon the wisdom of God. Choose to see the bigger picture. Hey, whatever situation you're facing, choose to look at it and say, you know what, God, I know that you're in control. Don't overreact at every situation. Don't be the one that says, ah, I can't believe that would happen. How dare? Be the one that says, God, I trust you. God, I know you're in control. This week, I had two different situations that God used to just hammer this into my heart. I was at my parents' house doing some work for them, and I was just doing something that should have been very simple, but you know how that works out. And I'm like, oh, man, I gotta, I gotta get back in the truck and go to Home Depot and get this part that I need. And I was, I was frustrated. I wanna get home. I wanna be done. And I walked out of my parents' apartment, and right as I walked out, their neighbor's walking down the way. And he says, oh, hey, how are you? I says, good, how are you? He says, you, uh, you their son? I said, yeah, I am. He said, are you the pastor of the church? I said, yeah. And this man and I began to talk for about 10 minutes. And he began to tell me his story and how he's wanting to get back in church, trusted Christ years ago, and now he's wanting to get back in church. And, and uh, we, we had a great conversation. I would not have had that conversation if things had gone my way. But here's this appointment, a God appointment. And I knew it. After it, I thought, man, Lord, thank you for that, that other little bit failing. <laughs> and thank you for helping me not overreact. Right? I could have slammed that door and walked, oh, man. And there he is face to face. I don't think someone's going to be like, oh, are you the pastor? <laughs> uh, no, uh-uh, no, no, that's some other guy, some other fella. <laughs> Two days later, I get home from the office, and Hannah says, hey, babe, the air conditioner's not working at the house. Oh. And we just only, air conditioner's only two years old. It better work. I get in, I do some things and mess with a little thing, change the filter and mess with some other little things. And I'm just frustrated. Next morning, I call the AC guys and I'm like, you guys got to come out. They're like, we can't get out for two or three days. Two or three days? We're getting to the hottest season of Moses Lake so far this year is these three days. I don't want to, you know. And I, I was like, all right, okay, all right. They said, hey, did you do this and this? Yeah, I did that. All right, well, we'll see what happens. The next day, the operator calls. Hey, we can get by today at 5 o'clock. Okay, great. 1.30. Hey, we're going to be at the house in 20 minutes. 
I can't plan in this. Why don't you said five? Keep it five. You know, my mind's going. All right, fine, fine. I get to the house. I get to the house only to find out he comes, only to find out that the problem is gone. <laughs> you, you know what that's like. I'm like, well, it's, well, it's the filter. You change the filter. I know, but it did it after I changed the filter. It, it's still the filter. All right, whatever. We have this conversation, but you know what? In that moment, he just begins talking to me, and I, I started talking to him about the Lord. And I again realized this is a God appointment. This is a God appointment. In a situation that I was like, man, in that type of a situation, God says, hey, hey, will you trust me? Can I just help you this morning? Whatever situations you face this week, don't overreact. Don't jump into it and think that God's lost his mind because he's never lost a battle. He's still in control. If someone's doing evil to you, hey, God will take care of that. Maybe he won't do it in your time, but eternity will always, will always bring out truth. Time always brings truth. So someone, you might not be vindicated in your time. Don't worry about it. God sees, God knows. But the last thing I wanna close with today is this. I love the spirit of Abigail. Her spirit reminds me of the spirit of Christ. Why? Because she said, put his sin on my account. Can I tell you today, that's what Jesus did on the cross. He took your sin and he put it on his account. He took your sin and he said, hey, I'm dying so that you don't have to go to hell. What a great picture of Christ in this, in this just simple little story of Abigail. Put, put, my, put his sin on my account. Can I tell you this morning that if you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, he desires to put your sin on his account. He already died and paid for your sin. He died on the cross. The Bible says that he commended or gave his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. He died for me. He put your sin and my sin on his account. And the scripture says that all we need to do is receive and believe. Put our faith and trust in him. I wanna ask you this morning, do you know for sure if you died today that you're going to heaven? If you're here and you don't know that, today could be the day that your sin is placed on his account and his righteousness is put on you. And this morning, maybe you don't know you're going to heaven. Can I tell you that you're not gonna get to heaven by good works? You're not gonna get to heaven by going to church, getting baptized, any of those things. The only way a person goes to heaven is by putting their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ alone. I hope you've made that decision. If you haven't, today should be the day. Today should be the day that you say, God, I realize I'm a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of my sin and come into my life and save me. God, put my sin upon your account and your righteousness upon me. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.